millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And I can already actually see a couple of texts in uh, saying one in particular saying, Patricia, please remember Vicky Phelan on your programme today. We need to all keep her in our prayers after her bad news. Can you please wish her well? And actually looking at the newspapers today, there's some gorgeous photographs of Vicky Phelan. She actually makes the front page of both the Examiner and the Irish uh, Independent. And I think so many people all over the country had a sort of a very heavy heart yesterday when they read so vital check campaigner Vicky Phelan revealing on her social media it was on Instagram that she's back in Ireland and she took to Instagram to explain what had happened that she had received some bad news in the United States following a recent uh, scam uh, she said she's no now longer elig- eligible for the proton beam therapy because her tumours have simply come too excessive um, she had put up a post um, I actually I checked the date of it yesterday because when I saw this this piece that she put up yesterday I just thought oh no poor Vicky she had put up a piece on the 16th of September where, where she was talking about this proton beam therapy and she'd just been accepted onto it and there was a real sense of hope that one particular tumour uh, which is, has grown very big it's around her aorta but it was causing huge problems to her back and she said her quality of life she was in so much pain when she'd walk any short distance she'd have to sit down to relieve the pressure and then she'd be okay again which said it really was impacting on her quality of life so she was hoping that this proton beam therapy would shrink that particular tumour she said if it does nothing else you know she was going to be happy so there was a real sense of hope on the 16th of September and then she hadn't posted anything and I was actually thinking oh maybe she's getting the treatment and you know the next we're going to see from her is her saying the tumour has shrunk and I'm feeling a lot lot better so therefore I was really gutted for her when I saw the piece that she put up yesterday and on it she wrote it wasn't a video piece to camera that she normally does it was a piece that she typed out and she said it's been a couple of weeks since I posted an update that's because since Since my last update, I've had some bad news. Unfortunately, following a PET scan with my radiation oncologist ordered, this is obviously all in the States, I have some new tumours. I have two new tumours in my neck, but the worrying one is a new tumour on my bowel. This means that I am now no longer eligible for proton beam therapy since my tumours are far too extensive i.e. I simply have too much disease in my body for them to zap it. So the recommendation from the team in the States was for me to return home 
and to take up palliative chemotherapy. She said all of this happened over the space of a few days when decisions had to be made very quickly. So she said with a very heavy heart I made the decision to return home to Ireland. She said I returned home earlier this week and I'm taking the time to reconnect with my kids and to absorb the news before I start down the chemotherapy road. Now she said the good news in inverted commas is that I can still have treatment and that this treatment will keep me alive until Christmas at the least. But the bad news is that the treatment I'm about to start, this is this palliative chemotherapy, is extremely toxic and it'll take its toll on my body and it'll take its toll on my mind. So then she went on to say she's going to take a break from social media over the next few weeks. She'll post, she said, very sporadically. But then she said, as always, I'd like to thank you all so very much for your support, your kindness, your generosity, your prayers and positive messages which continue to lift me and uh, keep me going. And obviously when she put that up on Instagram yesterday, there was an absolutely massive outpouring of support for uh, Vicky. People were thanking her for her selflessness. People were thanking her for her bravery. They were wishing her strength and uh, courage to go on. And of course, Vicky, it was actually January of this year. She's almost been a full year in uh, the States that she made that decision to travel to Maryland in the United States. She wanted to undergo and she got accepted onto a programme. It was for experimental uh, immu. Uh, immunotherapy treatment. It was similar to the drug Pembro that she'd been on in this uh, country. Now when she was on Pembro it did successfully shrink some of her tumours. That was back in 2008 but then it got to the stage where it wasn't doing anything else so she needed to go further. So she'd looked to the states where she thought that their immunotherapy hard word to say immunotherapy she was hoping that their treatment would be much further advanced so she had to submit you know all of her medical records and her scans and her files and she got accepted onto this particular treatment in uh, Maryland in the States and she was hoping because the Pembro had worked so well in Ireland she was hoping that another drug that was more advanced but of a similar ilk she was hoping it would work as well but unfortunately it didn't and that's why then she decided to go down this proton beam therapy but of course again she had to submit all of the paperwork and all of her medical files and then they agreed yes that they would do it and she looked like she was suitable but the one thing they had to do they needed to do a PET scan just to make sure that there wasn't any further tumours since her last scan and unfortunately that's where it started to go wrong for Vicky because they discovered these new ones in her neck and the more worrying one that is on her bowel so you know basically what they said to her there's nothing else that, that we can do or that can be done so the best thing now is to get palliative chemotherapy in the hope that it will keep her alive until Christmas it's such a she's such a difficult number of weeks and months now ahead of her because of what the chemotherapy is going to do to her and yet I suppose if she doesn't get the chemotherapy she's not going to be around for Christmas and of course she's got um, two two children isn't it she wants to be around for her kids so I think for all of us thoughts but she has she really has the thoughts and prayers of a nation I don't think there's anyone in this country who doesn't know who Vicky Phelan is and doesn't know how brave Vicky Phelan has been and how even with her own diagnosis and you know she knew from when she got a stage four she knew it was a terminal diagnosis but that didn't stop her campaigning on behalf of all the other women that were caught up in their cervical check uh, scandal and it didn't stop her fighting and uh, campaigning and then the 
decision this year was taken for her to go to the States and focus completely on herself to try to keep herself for as lo- alive for as long as she could and of course she's always said she wants to stay alive for her children that's what it was all about so it must have been as she said with a very heavy heart she's had to return because she's returning now knowing that this is, this is the end so it really is heartbreaking so thank you to listeners as I say who are already saying get for, for us to mention her and of course we would mention her today and for all of us to keep her in our thoughts and our, our prayers uh, Vicky Phelan and her children and her family and while I was talking about with such a heavy heart I read the piece on social media from Vicky Phelan uh, yesterday I went from from that really heavy heart feeling to absolute anger when I saw and read that anti-vax protesters gathered outside the family home of our Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Houlihan uh, yesterday now Gardaí in the end had to attend the, the, the house he lives in a house in South Dublin and there was there was a small enough group but they were carrying placards um, denouncing the fact that Dr Tony Houlihan had been promoting the life-saving COVID uh, vaccine now, eventually got uh, dispersed it was about half past two uh, yesterday afternoon but I just thought dear God here's a man who only in February of this year buried his wife do you remember his lovely wife uh, Dr Emer Feely she had been battling cancer for a number of years and she sadly passed away in uh, February and this is his family home that he shares with his two teenage children who are also still grieving the loss of their mother and then you have these people turning up outside just because they're against the vaccine if you're against the vaccine fine don't get it nobody's forcing you to get the vaccine but please don't go and protest outside a man's house who's doing who's done nothing and is doing nothing except trying to protect people in this country I thought it was absolutely shameful and I know there has been a number of protests in the last couple of weeks particularly by these anti-vaxxers you know there was a protest at one stage outside Leo Varadkar's house that he shares with his partner and then wasn't there also a protest outside Simon Harris's house just after his wife had given birth to a baby do you remember that and they they found that really intrusive as well but just absolutely shocking and actually just talking of Dr Tony Houlihan I saw he put up a video message at the weekend talking talking about school children and encouraging indicators that the incidence of the COVID-19 among children particularly primary children is falling he said the rate of the virus in this age group has fallen right back down as they predicted and uh, and expected he said it's really important though obviously if children uh, that children don't attend school and that adults don't refrain from going to work if you have any cold like symptoms such as runny noses sore throats headaches or, or temperatures which unfortunately that it seems it's the time of the year as well isn't it there does seem to be a lot of head colds and Uh, throat infections and chest infections and viruses during the rounds at the moment but of course we all have to err on the side of caution but it is particularly good to see that the COVID the incidence of COVID-19 amongst school aged children has fallen right back which is demonstrating that the classroom is a safe environment. 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's consent
sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Four areas of the country have been chosen by the Minister for Older People, Mary Butler, to test the much-delayed statutory home care scheme. And West Cork is one of the four areas selected. The announcement was made at the annual conference of Home and Community Care Ireland. And joining me, their Chief Executive, Joseph Musgrave. Good morning to you, Joseph. Good morning, Patricia. And you, you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, can you start by reminding us all about this statutory scheme? It was first promised in 2018. Yeah, well, it was actually first recommended, Patricia, back in 2011 by the Law Reform Commission, would you believe? <laughs> and successive governments starting around 2017, 2016, started promising as part of the Sandra Care reforms that you should have a right to home care, a statutory right to home care. And the new government, when it came to power, it initially um, took over from, uh, obviously, the Fine administration, which had planned to put the scheme into place in 2021. Due to COVID, they told us that's delayed until the end of 2022. So as part of developing what this looks like, you know, we obviously know the fair deal system for nursing homes. As part of looking what a scheme would look like for home care, uh, the minister announced at our conference last week that there are four pilot sites across the country and as you said West Cork is one of those And so the reason for the day it, it's it's primarily COVID is what they're saying That's what they've told us it's Since emerged of course we've had several resignations from the Slauncher Care team including Laura McGahey leaving and I've observed in my time uh, as CEO of HCCI I've been in the job for just over three years and in that time my counterpart at the Department of Health who leads what's called the Reform Unit that's the unit in the department that tasked with drafting the statutory right to home care. Uh, I'm now on my third counterpart. So uh, and that, <laughs> that and says enough. Happened. And that's in the last six months, Patricia. So there was someone who was in place and then they left. Then the successor left after three months and now there's a new one in place. So I think there's more that's clearly gone on than just COVID. There seems to be a shuffling of deck chairs and a bit of disorganisation at the department. So it was good that the minister came to our conference and sort of said, the four pilot sites are going ahead by the end of this year, although we don't know exactly what's going to uh, happen in those pilots. Well, at least it's a start and it, it looks like a bit of hope and a, and a step in the right direction. Are many people, Joseph, on waiting lists for a home care package? So the good news, uh, Patricia, is during COVID, uh, one of the things that we saw in home care, in contrast to nursing homes, was obviously it was a very tragic and sad story in nursing homes with 40 or or 50% of deaths in Ireland coming uh, from those settings. In home care, our rates of the virus never exceeded 1% of our client base. The most we had was 193 cases of COVID back in January. And the government saw that and reacted by boosting home care uh, by 150 million. It was a quite, um, it was basically a 25% boost in funding uh, in one year. And as a result, the waiting lists have fallen from 7,000 to just a little over 800 nationally, which is a great news story. The problem, uh, and what I told the government at the time, was that if you boost home care without looking into how we're going to recruit more staff, you're going to hit problems. And that's the point we're at now, where in parts of the country, most acutely in Galway, but now it's happening in Cork, it's happening in Dublin, it's happening down in Waterford. My members are telling me that they're full. They cannot take on any more clients because they simply can't recruit any more staff. Uh, they've raised wages, they've, we've tried all, all sorts of things to, to boost recruitment and it's just we simply don't have the staff there. So we're starting to see waiting lists go back up. 
And, you know, this issue of shortage of staff runs across so many different sectors. You know, I'm, I've spoken with hospi- the hospitality se- sector about it um, and, you know, many other sectors are really, really struggling to get staff. What is the possible solution to it, Joseph, particularly from your industry? Yeah. So, the, I mean, for two years I've been canning, campaigning for a workforce review, a strategic workforce review to take place that would look into all sorts of things. So one of the things we did at our conference is we published a paper looking into how home care is done in other countries because obviously, as you're right, we're not only uh, is home care not the only sector uh, that's struggling to recruit, we're not the only economy struggling to recruit. And uh, if you look at somewhere like the UK, for instance, they have a career path charted out where you can come in as an untrained uh, home care assistant, get trained up, and it takes you through six levels all the way up to a nurse if you want to go that far. And Australia, for instance, they have $90 million annually set aside for grant and training funds to make sure people can go through those levels. So what we did in the paper is we said, look, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We need to introduce some of the things we see in these other countries. We need to have a career path for carers. We need to introduce you know, different wage levels so that if someone wants to become a specialist in dementia care or in Alzheimer's care amongst, uh, you, you know, let's say older, vulnerable people, that not only can they get the training support to do that, but then they get a rise in income as a result of becoming a specialist in that area. And that's just one of the things we think needs to happen. And we were delighted again at the conference. Mary Butler came to the plate and she said that she is starting a workforce review, a strategic workforce review, which is going to happen, I think, alongside the pilot to look into how do we boost ways into the industry. Because right now, there's actually quite a high bar to entry. You've got to have pre-qualifications before you can even start caring, but you can't learn on the job, which we think is a, a shame. And we need to move to more of an earn-as-you-learn model, which will promote people coming into the sector who might be new to home care, but who want to learn and want to help people. Yeah, almost do it like in a, an apprenticeship. I was works in, in, other tra- in, in other trades. And, you know, while there'll always be a need and a role for nursing home and nursing home care, we know that the majority of people, when they're asked, where would you prefer to be? You know, nearly 99% of people will say at home, being cared for at home. And I think the one thing that the pandemic really showed us, Joseph, is how important home care is for our elderly population. I mean, you, you, you couldn't be more right. I mean, Mike Ryan spoke uh, at our conference and um, he kind of reiterated what I've been saying for the past 18 months, which is this COVID has been a mirror shining back to us, reflecting back to us how we care for older and vulnerable people. And what we saw in the mirror was not great because not just in Ireland, but in Canada, in Spain, in America, 40, 50, in some countries, 80% of deaths came from nursing homes. And that's not a that's not a, a wrap or anything on nursing homes. It's just the nature of the setting means it's very difficult when a virus like COVID hits to keep people safe. In home care, as I said, 1% of our clients got the virus. And that's a huge testament to the carers and to, to members like ours and to, and to the HSC home care system for being so resilient. So not only is it people's preference to stay at home, it's also safer to, to, to stay at home. And it's also, in many cases, better, you, you have better health outcomes, particularly if you have something like dementia being taken from your house and put into a very alien environment can be extremely unsettling. And so this is why we think that we need to put rocket boosters under getting a statute right to home care into legislation to give people a proper choice for the first time.
time in Ireland that you don't need to just go into a nursing home because that's the only funded route that you can choose home care and that you know you can get the care you need and one of the things I've been saying is that as soon as it becomes a right to home care, as soon as it's on legislation, the government will be forced to confront the workforce issues and engage with us. But Mary Butler took some real big steps uh, on Thursday towards you know, meeting the sector and engaging with us on these issues. OK, and we will wait to see these four pilot schemes, which you reckon should be, according to Minister Butler, should be up and running by the end of the year. Yes. So we've already started to get briefings in different areas of the country. The only, the only firm briefing I have is actually from Galway, where they're going to be piloting something called the single assessment tool. This is really this is a Canadian-based uh, assessment tool that basically, it can take up to three hours to complete. It's very thorough. Uh, that might create its own problems. But basically, it looks at the whole person and what supports they need. So it's no longer a siloed approach that if you need home care, but you also need physiotherapy support and perhaps you need you know, some other um, allied professional support. Uh, that that's all taken care of in one care plan. So I know they're trying that in Galway. We don't yet have details of what's happening in West Cork or in Dublin, um, but we we're interested to see, you know, again in the paper, one of the things that we've seen in, in more rural parts of the country is in Australia, they actually grade, uh, you know, you based on where you live so that if you're in a more rural location, that there's a higher payment tax to that to make it uh, more financially viable for somebody to, to carry out that uh, hour of home care. So I'm hoping they're going to be looking at things like that so we don't have a postcode lottery when it comes to home care. OK, all right. We will we'll wait and watch this with bated breath, uh, Joseph, because as you say, it's nearly 10 years since they've been talking about it since 2011. In the meantime, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for Thank that. You. Good morning to you. That is uh, Joseph Musgrave, who is the CEO of Home and Community Care Ireland. 1850 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Jack and Jill Children's Foundation is urging all of us here in Cork to go up the hill for Jack and Jill this October. And it's a fundraiser to help support the 48 families currently getting help from the foundation in caring for their very sick children here in Cork City and County. One of those families uh, is the Andrews from Iris and joining me this morning, Claudia uh, um, and Andrews. Uh, good morning to you, Claudia. Um, good morning, how are you? Uh, you're, I, I, I'm very well, thank you, and you're welcome. I suppose, thank tell you. me a little bit about your little boy. He was born in November of 2017, so he's coming up to his fourth birthday. Yeah, so I have a little um, almost four-year-old called Oren, so um, I was I was actually in labour on my 21st birthday, so I had Oren when I was 21, so I was very young. Um, so he'll be turning four in November and I'll be turning 25. And so when I had Oren, um, I suppose nothing was detected through the pregnancy. And then shortly after I had Oren, we just realised that he had um, a brain condition. So I suppose we were in the hospital for two months after I gave birth to Oren, um, which was pretty pretty intense, pretty traumatising. Um, and then we took Oren home after two months and that's when we got in contact with the Jack and Jill Foundation. So it was actually one of the nurses in the CUH that set that up for me. So at the time, I suppose I knew nothing about Jack and Jill. Um, I didn't know about their service. I didn't know what they did. So it was, I suppose, just a bit of a comfort knowing that they were there. Um, so my liaison nurse at the moment, her name is Eileen Neverku. So she's based up in Bishopstown in Cork. So she's fantastic. 
Um, so they basically, the Jack and Jill Foundation was set up in 1997. So currently, under their wing, they're actually caring for um, 396 families across Ireland, and 48 of those, as you said, being throughout Cork County and City, um, which is quite um, a high number, I suppose, in Cork as well. So the services, they are in quite high demand as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, and I think the, you know the one thing, and I think you hit the nail on the head when when you said it. It's only when you when a family end up with a very sick child that they discover Jack and Jill. It's one of those services Absolutely. that you're you're not going to know anything about. Nobody wants to be a part of that club. Nobody, yeah. but you suddenly find yourself part of this family of family of people who need help and support. And because of the nature as well of the work that's done. A lot of people don't even realise that a Jack and Jill nurse might be going into somebody's house. That's it, you see, yeah. So, like, as I said, I, I didn't know that they existed. I knew nothing about Jack and Jill. Um, and it was one of the nurses who said, who, who spoke to me one day in the hospital. So I, I had now been there for two months. Um, we were about to take Oren home. And it was a case of, like, how is, I suppose she was thinking, how is Claudia going to have help at home? Um, what respite can we provide for her? So she contacted, contacted Jack and Jill. Um, so, as I said, my liaison nurse would be Arlene Neverku, who's absolutely fantastic. Well done, and well done. Well done. And t- tell me about the, okay, talk about the medical care, firstly, that Oren needs uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, so Oren has um, a hormone deficiency. So his actual diagnosis is called septo-optic dysplasia. So it's basically a hormone deficiency, um, which has a domino effect on your body without certain hormones. Um, right. They help keep your body alive basically so when he can't produce those certain hormones himself I basically give him those artificially so through medication through tablets so when he was small it was all liquid and at the moment as he's gotten older he's now eating tablets and you know which is great so he is developmentally delayed so with that um, he's on about 10 doses of medication every day so starting from 8 in the morning right through till 8 in the evening um, so, so your day is surrounded by watching a clock to know what needs to be given and when it needs to be given. Yeah, um, I suppose at the beginning it was, it was like I was tra- I was terrified to bring him home because I didn't I didn't know what these medications were. I didn't know what they did. Um, I didn't know the effects that they would have for Oren because I didn't know anything. I was twenty one, so I suppose I didn't really have a lot of confidence in giving the medication. Um, and now, four year, nearly four years later. It's a completely different ball game, you know. He's he's eating tablets, he's taking medication. Really? So yeah, I do have to watch the clock. Um, yeah, yeah. I just make and sure I have everything on train for him. And your your confidence has grown, and that's what happens Absolutely, with mammies. Yeah. Mammies confidence Absolutely. it it does grow. <laughs> Maternal instincts and, and tell me a little bit about uh, Oren, uh, like physically, how is he? Um. So when when Oren was diagnosed, I was basically told that they didn't know the extent of Oren's condition. They did not know if Oren would feed. They didn't know if he would walk. They didn't know if Oren would talk. They they basically said to me it's a case of him being bad at maths or he could be in a wheelchair non-verbal. Like, there was no no one, I suppose, telling me what the extent of his condition would be. So I was just told I was going to be going home being a nurse, basically. And That's I tough. actually, at the time, was... Hello? That's tough. It was tough, yeah, because at the time... Um, I think I was quite almost, I was so fragile and it was such a sensitive situation that I think I was almost insulted um, because I didn't know what was going on. And then for some, a nurse to tell you, oh, you're just going to be going home basically being a nurse and that this is what your life is going to be, is looking back now, like it's two completely different things. You know, Oren has just come on so, so much and so have I for Oren. And 
like looking back now, like looking back then, as I said, I was nearly insulted. But now I'm privileged, like, and any nurse out there or any home, you know, SNA supporter or people working with special needs or sick kids, like, it's an honour. It's an absolute honour. You know, it's a totally different different ball game. Yeah. So, and how is he physically? He's no, he's good. So, like, Oren, they told me when he was going home that Oren would be tube feeding that he would never be able to feed. So I was learning at the time how to put a tube in through his nose into his stomach to feed him. Um, Oren, thank God, that tube came out. Once the hormones were replaced, Oren, you know, he just turned the corner and he was feeding. Oren was actually on solids at nearly five months old because he was so hungry. So he, he can feed himself, drink himself. Um, he sits up himself and he's, Oren's a bit of a rogue. So at the moment now, he's um, he's kind of like breaking out of the bed and he's, you know, if he's sitting on the couch, he's now standing, which is excellent. So he is really, really pushing his own abilities as well. And did, um, did I read that he loves horse riding? He does, yeah. <laughs> he's a great man for horse riding. So we, between physio and I suppose OT, and I actually had read somewhere, like we used to do horse riding, you know, as a hobby when we were younger. We always loved it. And it's one thing I said with Oren, he will he will be horse riding, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter. He will be on the back of a horse. And that's basically. brilliant for muscle tone, isn't it? Absolutely. So yeah. they say that if um, every time a horse takes a stride, that it actually sends sends motor neurons up through your body, up to your brain, so it can, you know, help with coordination, balance, um, and it's great for the sensory aspect of things as well. So, mm. um, Oren started horse riding when he was 12 months old. Brilliant, um, brilliant. Yeah, so... And is he, would you, is, he, is he a happy little lad? Uh, yeah, he's, he? he's a very, very happy child. Yeah. Um, he's a brilliant child, I must say. Like, he just, he takes everything in his stride, and he's he's very tough, very resilient, very, very tough and he's a strong little boy. You know, he takes his tablets, takes his medication. He's now in his second year of preschool as well. So, um, with with the walking aspect of things, like he's eating, sitting up. Um, developmentally, he was a bit slower to do things, not with feeding, but um, I suppose sitting up and just balance and correction and things, that, that was development, developmentally delayed. Um, at the moment now, he is, he can take steps temporarily. So he's, if I hold his hands, like he will take steps, and you know I bring him up and down the stairs because it's just a good physio side of things as well. Um, he knows how to use his legs. It's just I suppose putting it all together for him. Yeah, and the fact that it's such a rare this is whenever a child is is diagnosed with such a rare uh, disease, it's nobody knows what the future is like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it is. It's a it's a really 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 rare condition. So yeah. there's a lot of people out there who might be lacking one hormone, maybe like their thyroid for, you know, thyroxine, but Oren has three not being produced. God, which... God that's tough. That, 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 that is uh, tough. Uh, but thankfully, as you say, your liaison nurse, uh, Eileen, sounds like she is uh, uh, fantastic. And can I say, she you is. are a fantastic young mum. So <laughs> Oren you. is blessed to have you, you as well. And it's important to point out that the reason we're talking to you is because the Jack and Jill Foundation, they get less than 20% of their funding from the government, which to me is just shocking. It's shocking. So fundraising yeah. is a vital. It's so essential you, for them. So this uh, up the hill for Jack and Jill it happens I think every October you're encouraging people to get involved in that Claudia yeah so basically um, every year throughout the month of October Jack and Jill do fundraising um, so it's it's for the whole month of October um, so you we encourage people it's called up the hill for Jack and Jill so you basically pick a hill pick a location now you can do this by yourself or you can you can do it with friends or family and you just go online to jackandjill.ie and you can register on their website and you can just make a donation. So for Up the Hill and Jack and Jill, um, 
it's kind of the registration is 18 euro solely because it actually costs roughly 18 euro to provide one hour of home specialist home care per week for a, you know a sick child and um, so the you know the standards of their care they're quite high as well and they're quite in demand so um, that's what we kind of encourage people to do and obviously you can just go on the website as well to jackandjills.e and just make a solo donation um, big or small everything matters you know so um, this is their seventh year um, their seventh October of running this fundraiser which is outstanding and they've had a really really good response as well and it's definitely well needed as I said there's 48 families uh, alone in Cork using this service availing of the service and 396 throughout the country yeah, 300, and 396 goodness it's such a high figure and if, you know we don't even like I don't have an exact figure on probably new referrals that are after coming in but it's definitely in a high demand and they actually used to have the service for up to children of four years old and they've now extended that to up to six years old which is fantastic as well yeah because they can't um, they can't walk away f- away from families exactly and because yeah. Jack and Jill is, is, is there many of these children are allowed to remain at home and be looked after at home if Jack yeah. and Jill wasn't there it, particularly in some of the very com- complex conditions children might live all their lives in a hospital bed which is no yeah. life for a child absolutely yeah it's not a life and you know I suppose like I, I used it initially when I had Oren and I went on maternity leave for six months. I went back to work part time. That was just my choice, just for mm-hmm. my own thing, you know, my own freedom. So I actually used my Jack and Jill hours for work so that I could get a nurse to care for Oren so that I could go to work for the day. So I had a lovely nurse called Teresa Murphy from Oren. Um, so she used to care for Oren um, one, one day a week to two days a week. And I would go to work and they would provide... You know, they would they they would actually just they helped me out so much with that. Like, and I probably only for that I wouldn't have gone back to work when I did. I know, they're fantastic. I've just realised. Did I call you? Are you Claudia Sullivan or Claudia I'm Andrews? Sullivan, yeah. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> yeah. My no, apologies. It's okay, Oren is Andrews. Oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's okay. Listen, <laughs> uh, Claudia, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're a fantastic young mother, and as, as I mentioned, much. Oren is blessed to have you. Continue good health to, to Aaron and look after yourself as well, because that's important. Perfect. Thank Thanks you Thanks for much. joining Thanks me. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Claudia. Sullivan from Iris 1850 Lines open Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed the boil water notice which has been impacting uh, people getting their water supply from the Donnerail Regional Public Water Supply. We've been talking about it last week on the programme that boil water notice has been lifted with immediate effect. Water is now safe to drink so certainly that's a bit of good news for the people in Donnerail. And then Jenny is wondering Patricia, how long does it normally take for a parcel to come from the UK to Ireland? The reason I ask is my sister-in-law sent me a parcel on the 6th of September and where are we at? The 4th of October and I had, didn't get it yet says Jenny well there's definitely something wrong there Jenny I've never heard of a parcel taking a month to come from the UK to Ireland I would suggest your sister might have to get on to the post office service in the UK and maybe if you check in with your local post office but that is a very very excessive period of time now I know there's problems going on in the UK with uh, truck drivers and we're watching everything that's happening with fuel shortages and all of that so there, there may be some delay on items been delivered but a month long seems very very excessive anybody else waiting on post from the UK or if you 
were you waiting and was it an excessively long period of time but in the meantime Jenny I'll be checking in with the post office here and get your sister-in-law to check with the post office service in the uh, UK uh, Hi Patricia this is from Anne absolutely gutted to hear the news from uh, Vicky Phelan I really hope that all of the government and past ministers are hanging their heads in shame for the way she and other women were treated under the vital check it really is shameful that is from Anne I mentioned the protesters outside Dr Tony Houlihan's family home yesterday you know he in there Sunday afternoon with his two teenage children doing you know nice quiet family Sunday a family that you know not even a year since the wife and mother have been buried and to think protesters thought it was okay to turn up outside with placards just because they don't want to get vaccinated and they don't believe in vaccination. That's fine. You don't have to believe in vaccination, but keep it to yourself. You don't have to be out protesting outside a, a grieving man's uh, home. Um, Ross, Ross says, when will we start looking into these anti-vax protesters. Remember, a man died in Donegal who was linked to the anti-vax protesters. And then different answers. Oh, Patricia, could the Gardaí not do anything about people trespassing outside Dr Tony Houlihan's house? I think it's absolutely disgraceful. Stupid and um, idiots is what Anne has called them. Thank you for that, Anne. And actually, Ross's piece um, talking about the deaths that happened, that's that gentleman, Joe McCarran, who died he uh, he left hospital with along with anti-vax campaigners who persuaded him and he was very unwell I'm, I'm assuming most people have seen that video that went uh, viral he was a 67 year old man he had been in hospital he had been diagnosed with COVID he was barely able uh, to breathe and he was encouraged to leave Letterkenny University Hospital despite the best efforts of the medical staff you could clearly hear the doctors trying to persuade him to remain and saying he was putting his life at risk anyway he was persuaded to leave by the by one in particular an anti-vax extremist. He's an, an Italian guy, Antonio. And he encouraged him uh, to leave. And then, of course, we know what happened two days later. Joe McCarran had to be readmitted to Letterkenny Hospital. And, of course, he subsequently died. I can tell you the very latest on this. I saw this yesterday that the Gardaí are making progress in their investigation. They're trying to determine whether any criminal offence were committed when Joe McC- when he was encouraged to leave the hospital in particular, you know, they're looking at things like were the hospital staff threatened, but they're also taking a look at the way in which he was encouraged to leave and if there should be a criminal investigation. And I assume from Ross's comment, uh, when are we going to look into them? That's exactly what Ross is thinking, that uh, criminal charges should be taken against those people. 1850 I can see some questions coming in for Annalise. Uh, keep those coming. In particular, somebody is on about... Uh, her granddaughter who is in uh, play, just started play school and in and out with colds there's a lot of colds and runny noses and coughs and sore throats doing the rounds at the moment and of course we know the guidelines are if you have anything like that you have to keep your child at home you know gone are the days now when you could you know give a child some Calpol or some Nurofen and send them off along their merry way knowing it's only a head cold everyone now has been encouraged in play school in schools even in workplaces people are encouraged to stay at home so it's trying to the sister was wondering is there anything Annalise can suggest you boost the immune system a little bit I think that's what everybody what we all need to do at this this time of the year particularly try to ward off any of those cold and flu viruses that are out there at, at the moment now scam calls and scam emails and scam texts 
we are forever hearing about those on the programme. So it's good to see that Gardaí are holding urgent discussions with all of the country's top mobile phone providers in a bid to try to reduce, even in the short term, what the Gardaí are saying, the scourge of the scam texts and the scam calls. And I know whenever we're talking about it here in the programme, the amount of people are saying, why can't the mobile phone providers do something about it? Well, the Garda National Cyber Crime Bureau, they are now starting to push the issue with the telecom companies and they're trying to engage with them and saying to them, putting the ball in their court and saying, look guys and gals, you need to come up with a solution to this. And the main reason that the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau are getting involved is they say that they have seen a 15-fold jump in last year in the reports of phishing and smishing cases. Many of them are scam calls and scam tests and they give figures. The Bureau have received 3,282 reports and these are people who lost money on these scams between the 1st of January and the 15th of August this year and when you compare that to all of last year, they only had 213 reports so they have increased by 1,500% in one calendar year and actually in the Examiner today there's a really good interview with uh, Detective Chief Superintendent Paul Clear now he's head of the Guard, the National Cyber Crime Bureau, and he says there's a huge uh, in- increase in. The, and he says, in particular, the last six weeks, for some reason, is that the amount of scam text messages, and for some reason, the last six weeks that the, six weeks has been an even bigger increase in the amount of these scam texts and calls. And I think all of us can say we've noticed that uh, ourselves. He said scam calls and messages were very challenging for the Guard. National Crime uh, Bureau because he said they investigate they found on some of the cases where money was scammed they found that the original text or scam or email came from outside of the state so all that the Gardaí can do then is they gather up as much evidence as they can they put it into what's called an evidence pack and they forward it on to the law enforcement partners in the country where the original scam or text started And they are then left hoping that they will follow up on it. He said it is really, really difficult. He said it's not just a law enforcement issue. He said the likes of the telecom companies, messaging platforms now need to be more involved. He said the criminals involved are sending out a half a million texts at a time and it's done from a phone via a computer abroad and it's a process known as robo-dial. Now it's completely different from somebody sitting with a phone in their hand and sending out a couple of text messages one after the other. But he's making the point that they can send out up to a half a million texts by pushing one button and that's where they also generate this robot, this robo-dial. They also generate the numbers and of course if you're going in a half a million the chances are that you land a couple of thousand that are genuinely going to be somebody's real phone number and that person then will receive the text and receive the the call of the scam. But he's saying that with that amount of texts going out at any one time from just one phone and one scam artist, he said surely, surely they can be recognised by the telecom companies and that they can put in place some kind of an appropriate firewall to address the issue. He said the Bureau is linking in with law enforcement colleagues in the UK because it's not just here in Ireland. The UK have the very, very same problem and he says that the Gardaí are treating this with a matter of urgency. So well done to the Garda National Crime 
Bureau and we Cybercrime Bureau and we wish them the best of luck and hopefully that they can somehow get to the bottom of it. But I think they're right. I do think the telecoms company who make a lot of money out of us uh, by us all having our mobile phones, I do think that they need to step up to the mark. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. An early years practitioner is wanted to work under the AIM model. It's 15 hours per week and it's in the North Cork area. CVs please to cleverkids.spm at gmail.com. Qualified accountant wanted for skibbering. Your contact is shane at o'neillaccountants.ie. Experienced waiting staff wanted for Longerville House in Mallow. Uh, email a CV please to info at longervillehouse.ie. And school bus drivers are wanted for the Bantier slash Mallow areas. A D1 bus licence is necessary. Contact Jerry at 087 2833 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Last week, the government ordered a crackdown on what they described as rogue landlords who are pushing up rents beyond limits imposed by regulations. Idel Condon is from the housing charity Threshold here in Cork, and Idel joins me. Good morning, Idel. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Are you hearing from many tenants who say their landlords are putting up the rent or trying to put up the rent? Y- yes. Um, so I suppose from January to September of this year, we've had 163 households contact us in the Cork office um, who've received a rent review or a rent increase. And 50%, around 50% of those, Patricia, will, will be invalid. Okay, so... Um, and explain you know, why they will be invalid? So they would be invalid for, for, I suppose, it could be for a number of reasons. It could be that they might not be written in the correct format, okay? So it mightn't have the correct wording. It mightn't be served, on, you know, it mightn't be served at the correct time. Um, it might not give tenants enough notice. It might be using incorrect comparable properties um, when they're, when they're contacting the tenant. They must compare the property to other properties in the area. Um, it might not. It might be above the four percent, which there have been changes to that now. But we, you would have heard of these rent pressure zones yeah. where the rents could only be increased by four percent per annum. Um, now, recently, there has been a change to that, so it's it's now measured by inflation. But the problem is, and um, that inflation is nearly mm. at the four percent now. So, uh, unfortunately, that has kind of backfired for the government. Um, so there are now um, the, the the government have have said that they're going to look at this. So um, Minister O'Brien is going to see maybe do we need these rent caps, which threshold have been lobbying for some time. We need to to cap the rents um, and and in some cases freeze them. Um, the RTB brought out their their quarter two report, and we can see that rents outside of rent pressure zones have increased by seventeen percent in some places year on year. And that's um, like, and, and how people are affording that, I, I really don't know. And then I assume, Adele, there will be a cohort of people afraid to complain because of the shortage of rental properties. Absolutely. We're seeing this every day in Threshold where people are just saying, I'm going to have to pay it. 
I'm afraid to rock the boat here. I'm afraid the landlords will turn around and issue me with a notice of termination saying that he's going to sell the property because he's not making enough money on it. So this, yeah, there's a real fear there, Patricia. And, um, you know, it's it's not fair. Um, people are really struggling to 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 pay the, these these rents, um, you know, and... Uh, you know, for years people would have would have rented as a stepping stone to home ownership. You know, with the desire to eventually buy um, while paying rent. But at the moment, the rents are so high. The average rent now is at one thousand three hundred and fifty-two um, in Cork City. It's one thousand three hundred and forty-four, and in the county, the rents have actually increased by nine point four percent in the last year, with an average rent now in the county of one thousand and fifty-one. And we've um, never seen that before. It used to always no. be the, the 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 city. And you know, when you talk about we historically, that's what used to happen. People would rent a house, and they'd be saving away for their mortgage, and mm-hmm. then they get their mortgage and they'd move on. Then that house would become available for the next person on the ladder exactly. to, to rent. But that's unfortunately that system is broken and hasn't been working for quite a number of years now. And so we've got this double crisis of affordability and availability. It's like it's a perfect storm, isn't it, at the moment? It is, you know, and um, the government have now um, announced their their new housing strategy, Housing for All, and, um, you know, there is a commitment now to, to build. But the problem is, Patricia, it's going to take years for the, for all of this to come through and make a real difference. So I suppose what, what Threshold are here to do is to you know, keep people in the homes that they're in at the moment until we see, you know, um, improvements in the in the housing sector. So it's really important that people get those rent reviews checked, you know, because as I said, 50% of the rent reviews that come to us are invalid and people shouldn't have to pay that increased rent. You know, and the same with notices of termination. So if you're issued with a notice, again, about 50% of the notices that we see um, are also invalid. And, you know, if those notices need to be challenged, we can support tenants and go to the Residential Tenancy Board with them. You know, these hearings are still taking place online at the moment, so they're all virtual. Um, so everything, you know, all those supports are still available to tenants out there, and they really should avail of them because, as you said, Patricia, the properties are not there. So if someone does need to leave their home, you know, unfortunately, some people are ending up in emergency accommodation, which is yeah, not nice. Yeah, and if you've got children, it's just, it's a, it really is a nightmare. We know the final touches have been put to uh, next week's budget, which is about a week uh, tomorrow. Do the HAP rates need to increase? HAP rates, I mean, they haven't been increased for years upon years at this stage and they're just like completely out of touch with the market so for a single person at the moment if you need to access the housing assistance payment you get a rent of you get uh, 550 euros is, is what you can uh, rent for now i mean i looked at that recently and there is nothing absolutely nothing anywhere in the city or county available for that um you know a one bedroom property is now the asking is about a thousand euros for a two-bedroom apartment, um, I had a look and you know, in Battle and College, I think they were the asking fourteen hundred euro, um, you know, and 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 you're getting five, you're getting five hundred under under half. 
for one adult. So for for maybe, you know, a, a lone parent and a child, they're entitled to rent for 900, but they still have to come up with that 500 euro. So half top-ups is a huge, huge issue because, you know, if you're if you're taking rent money out of the children's allowance um, to pay, that's, you know, leaving you short to pay the electricity bill, to put food on the table, to buy a new school uniform. You know, it's having a huge impact on families and it's just not fair. So, yes, half limits have to be increased. We're also looking for, um, in our pre-budget submission, we asked for a rent arrears fund to be made available. So those who have been affected by COVID, you know, they, they would also be, be struggling um, and making arrears. There, yeah, are there people in arrears battling with their landlords? Um, there are, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had 45 households um since, since January that we are working with to try and get, you know, get their rent sorted. And a lot of the time landlords like, actually, Patricia, when we get involved in cases like that, because a lot of landlords don't want to see, you know, tenants losing their property because of, his, you know, the hard times that we've experienced. And we find that landlords, you know, when we get on board, they, they're actually delighted to have a third party there and to try and sort it out. Because a lot of the time it could be just... Um, form filling is the issue and people are just so stressed that the sight of a form, you know, just they just wouldn't be in the right headspace. So we can help with all of that as well in threshold to fill out the forms and get the ball rolling and to agree um, payment plans with, with the landlord and, and just to get those arrears sorted because it's, it's in the interest of everyone that, you know, those things are sorted and that people don't lose their homes and end up in emergency accommodation mm. because the cost of emergency accommodation for state as well is huge. So it makes absolutely no sense that, you know, it should be keep people in their homes and um, as long as possible, you know, um, because financially it's, it's the state is much better off. Yeah, Lorraine is an interesting question. How do you know if you're paying a valid rent for your area? Is there any register you can go to check rents in a particular area? There's not, and and that's again another something that we're asking in 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 the, the budget and and uh, going forward is that there would be um, a rent register made available so that tenants know what rent the last uh, tenant before them was paying. Now. Under the legislation, the landlord is actually supposed to give you a document at the start of your tenancy informing you what the previous rent was and how they calculated your rent now when you moved in. Now, I have yet to see one of those documents. And, you know, we saw in the Irish Examiner last week that the, the, um, the minister is asking for the RTB to clamp down on, on rogue landlords and, you know, the investigations and sanctions unit to, to get out there um, and that's even that document is something that the RTB have to you know really kind of look for when when they're um, looking at cases um, mediation cases and, and um, adjudication cases is where is that document you know and a lot of landlords aren't aware of that either Patricia I suppose there's a big information campaign needed as well for landlords because there's been so much change in the legislation um, in the last number of years, it's it's impossible for for landlords to keep up sometimes with it, and 
it's it's not a business for a lot of landlords, you know. It might have been a property that they inherited or, you know. To well, we're we're constantly hearing about the, yeah. ac- the accidental uh, landlord. Yeah. Actually, John in Carrick-Tool has contacted us from the landlord's point of view. He said uh, he's renting, he has a house to rent and it is within the rent pressure zone. He said he welcomed the rent pressure zones, but he knows of other landlords who are just outside the zone and before the area came into the zone, they were getting double the rent I am. He said between insurance, property tax and more, there's not much money from renting a house. And he gives the example of the house he's renting. He is getting €750 a month. It's a three-bedroom property. A similar house down the road, he knows, is the landlord is getting €1,200. He agrees. I do agree with what has been said, but I feel it's one-sided and landlords also need a voice. They do. Yeah, and again, that's something that we we included in our um, submission, pre-budget submission, that landlords, the, the tax treatment of landlords needs to, to be looked at. We don't want to lose landlords in the market, and we are, drastically, that you can see, there's, you know, there are a lot of landlords leaving, I suppose, the price of houses has increased, so, you know, they, they, it's an opportunity for them maybe, because they've you know, struggled in the past um, with negative equity. But we don't want to lose landlords at all. And we want to work with landlords to make this work for, for the private rented sector. Um, so, yes, absolutely. The tax treatment of landlords needs to, to be looked at. And just going back to his point about the rent pressure zone, we're seeing it now, again, that the rents outside the rent pressure zones are, are increasing um, by the day. And, you know, this this is what happened. We watched this. For, you know, happen in the likes of, um, say, McCroom, um, Bandon, the rents were increasing and increasing because they weren't in a rent pressure zone. And now, sure, they're nearly at the same level as the city. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, so really what needs to happen now is the rents need to be, um, the, the, that there should be no zones as such, that the whole country now needs to have a rent cap um, or, you know, at least tie it to, to this harmonised index of consumer price where, you know, it's all tied to inflation, not these zones, because what's happening is just outside of the zones, as that, that man described there, the rents are just increasing and increasing. And, yeah, it's not fair on the landlords, but it's certainly not fair on the tenants um, either because they're the ones having to, to, to pay these extortionate rents while trying to live um, as well. And your heart would break, Adele, for anybody looking to rent a property at the moment. I mean, we've been contacted by some listeners in the last, certainly the last year I think, you know, talking about ringing up when they see a house is available for rent and the landlord, in a nice way, almost laughing at them and saying, join the queue, there's 50 people in front of you for the viewing. It's just it's uh, it's really hard out there now to rent a property. It is, you know, very little properties available. I think at the moment it's about 126 in Cork City and County, which is at an all-time low. Um, you know, so it, it's 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 not a nice place to be. I suppose the important thing is to make sure you're aware of your rights if you are currently renting. Um, so you know t- that you can stay there, and you know, threshold will support tenants in that side of things. But um, for anyone, I suppose, starting off and, and looking. I suppose just to keep going, you know, we see it all the time with um, our access housing unit. It's another service that Threshold have in trying to source accommodation for those who are homeless or or have, have or, or living in emergency accommodation. Um, it is extremely hard to source uh, source accommodation, but I suppose just to be aware as well of discrimination. We do see that unfortunately, where landlords are refusing tenants um, access to the housing assistance payments, even if they're living in the property. You know, um, but that 
that is um, discrimination. And again, it should be brought to our attention if people are coming coming across that. Yeah. Where, where the and, land and then, of course, it's it's the condition of properties as well. I was only reading in the program uh, in the papers this morning. It's the housing mm-hmm. standards for rented houses uh, houses regulation. They did an expe- an inspection. Nineteen out of twenty private rental properties inspected last year were found to be in breach of regulations. 19 out of 20, goodness me. Yes, yes, I read that article oh. too. It's frightening. And, and again, standards is an issue which people, which tenants are unfortunately kind of putting up with at the moment because they're afraid to rock the boat with the yeah. landlord and they're afraid of getting notice. And, you know, that's not good enough. I mean, if, if tenants are paying these huge rents, they should be getting good quality accommodation. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the time, Patricia, I think this is a staffing issue within local authorities. They're not, you know, they're not being given the correct resources. There's all, you know, there's lots of change of staff as well happen in local authorities. That's the way it's designed, that the staff kind of hops from department to department. I don't think that's the right thing. I don't think that's the way local authorities should run because I think they're, you lose the experience that these staff have gained throughout the years in working in housing. And when we're talking we're talking of standards, we're back to one of my first questions to you about when when a rent when the rent goes up, people are fearful to complain because they're fearful of even if the house is in bad condition and is not meeting the regulations, they're afraid of losing the roof over their heads. They are and it's not right. And you know, we would urge people to to come and contact us. Obviously, Threshold will only do what the tenant wants us to do. We will never go off and contact the landlord, you know, unless we have permission from the tenant. Okay. So that's important for, for your listeners to know. Okay. And just, just want to give a call and talk it through first. Okay. And your number there is? 1800 454 454. And Patricia, we also now have a web chat function on our website, uh, www.threshold.ie, if someone just wants us, you know, to have a kind of a chat that way first okay. and get some information. Um, you know, some people prefer to just you know, ease themselves into 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 these processes and, and that's OK too. OK, but reach out, you're there and you've got, a, you've got all the expertise. Listen, Adele, thank you for that. Enjoyed our chat. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is Adele Condon, who's with the Housing Ch- Charity Threshold in Cork. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This coming Thursday is National Tree Day. A day to celebrate outdoors everything that is good about this beautiful country. To chat about the day, I'm joined by Aina Nilauna, who of course is also president of the Tree Council. Good morning to you, Aina. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, are you I'm, well? I'm well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you on the programme. Now, I know the theme this year is trees are good neighbours. Explain to us why that statement is true. Oh, well, trees really are good neighbours to us. They do lots of good things for us. I mean, the first thing they do is they, they, by actually growing and taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, they're helping us to combat climate change. That's what photosynthesis is. It spits CO2, it saves all the carbon that the timber in the tree, and it gives off oxygen for us to breathe. So that's a very neighbourly thing to do. And then the next thing they, they do, which is good, is that they are really, really good for biodiversity. 
which means that there's actually food for insects, there's flowers perhaps for, for butterflies or bees, there's there's maybe fruits or berries for the birds or nuts for the wild um, mice and squirrels and things like this. And then, of course, the, the, the bark will be a place where lots of little creepy crawlies can live. And then under the trees, the roots take the water up out of the soil to stop the place being flooded. They, they have a whole influence in, in the soil around. Maybe mushrooms and things can grow there. So, I mean, the trees are really, really good neighbours to us. So in return, we should be good neighbours to them. We should plant them. We should look after them. We should appreciate them. And we should enjoy their company, which is what they're good for our mental health, really, if you go out walking in the woods. So what's not to like about trees? They're definitely <laughs> our good neighbours. Well, and actually, only yesterday, I was uh, driving home after doing uh, some shopping and there was one of these downpours, you know, sort of the clouds oh, burst. And I yeah. saw uh, an elderly woman in my neighbourhood who was out walking her dog. And I live in, and my neighbourhood is called White Oaks. And there's this massive, big oak tree that has been, that's, it's the, I, I don't know whether there was, there were, had been many more there at one stage, but there's this gorgeous, gorgeous specimen of a tree, many hundreds of years old. And I saw her running and she went for shelter with her little dog and kept lovely and dry while this well, cloud burst had yeah, happened. And I just thought, there it goes, it can yeah. offer you shelter as well. I must, I must, I must add, add that into my list as well, then, of, of benefits. That yeah, give, give you shelter. And, yeah. and, and, and actually, the London Marathon yesterday, I thought it was really good because they were all about uh, biodiversity and and being good for the uh, um, being good for the environment. They planted over a thousand trees in London as part yeah, of as part of the marathon. Yeah. exactly, indeed. Yeah, because you see, we, we're burning fossil fuels, putting carbon up into the atmosphere in the form of carbon dioxide. And that's holding on to heat from the sun and warming up the world. And the only way to get it out again is planting trees. And we have removed half the trees of the world since we started farming, you know, since people started influencing the world. So there's only half the amount of trees left in the world than there was before we had, we got our hands on it, as it were. So very important. That's why we have National Tree Day. And as far as our sponsors this year, you know, there's, their logo is under the tree as far. So as a result of sponsorship from them, we're able to give out to, to every primary school in the country we can give them a free tree and this year it's going to be the, the wild Irish cherry tree on Chile and Fion, which you can get and plant and it'll have lovely flowers for the insects in springtime and it actually has cherries on it at the end of July for, for the birds to eat at that time of the year and pine martens and creatures like that. So it's a good native tree to have and this is this is what's getting given out to our primary schools. Well done, well done. And would you be, and you're encouraging people, all of us, to try to plant a tree. Why, what would you suggest we should be planting? Well, we should always plant something that is suitable for where we are. I mean, if you live in a small garden, a house in a small garden, obviously you don't plant a great oak tree or something in it. Whereas if you have more space, you might plant things that would suit. I mean, if your soil is very wet, something like alder will grow very well. Willow grows very quickly if you want something quick. Whereas if you have a smaller place and you just want sort of a hedge and things like that, you can't beat blackthorn and hawthorn and spindle and gelder rose. All of these are native Irish species that grow well in Ireland and they, they'll have uh, berries, they'll have leaves, they'll have things that will suit. I mean, if you plant a eucalyptus tree, we don't live in, in Australia, so why would you plant something that's going to be no good to our wildlife? We don't actually have koala bears and things to be eaten <laughs> on them. You know, so, and the same with things from the Far East, Japanese cherry blossoms, for instance. I mean, we never get 
cherries we can eat off those. They're only a week's flowers in the it's not Japan, we're not we're not there. So people should plant things that are part of our own biodiversity. We have twenty eight native species of plants, native species of trees that do very well in Ireland. And now that we're having trouble with our ash trees and ash dieback, we're really noticing it in our hedgerows. But other things could grow in the hedge, things like things like holly, things like hazel, things like crab apple wild cherry again if you're planting hedges around your farm or around your area you should give consideration to planting those kind of things that are going to grow because you know we really need I mean Ireland has only got 11% of the country covered in trees it's the least in Europe ourselves and more to have 11% even Britain God help us they have 12% and places like Sweden and Norway are up on 69-70% tree coverage so we do need to be making more of an effort to plant trees and to look after the trees we have do you feel the last 18 months has helped many of us to appreciate the great outdoors and, you know, what is in our, in our own neighbourhood, in our own locality? Oh, I think it has very much so because, you know, oftentimes people think, well, there's nothing important around here. If I want to see somewhere great, I'll go to the Burren or I'll go to the seashore or I'll go to tropical rainforest or something. You know, what could there be of interest in the place around me but if, if if you only can go to the place around me and that's all we could do for the last 18 months you know then you know you became interested you had the same walk every day and in the springtime it was the leaves were beginning to burst on the trees and by the time autumn came because we were a whole year gone more a year at this now then you had the birds sing and you could see all the changes so therefore you were aware oh that tree didn't grow or the leaves didn't happen or I wonder what happened there or if we planted more stuff we'd have more things to, to look at as we walk around so by, by being aware of what's in your own neighbourhood you, you're also aware of the potential for more nice and useful things being there as well and maybe going ahead and doing that I mean tidy towns groups are getting together every year in the tidy towns competition for example we have a, a section there's, there's an award for the best tree 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 um, job that they do in town or in the village you know the, the best one of that gets a, gets um, an award from the tree council so like I mean people can do very much you know themselves or in groups in their own area and because they've had so much interest in that in the last 18 months they're actually much more aware of the importance of your local surroundings I mean from your mental health point of view it's much nicer to look out somewhere with wildlife than looking out on a concrete jungle <laughs> Well said well said and, and we have a weekly gardening slot here on the programme with uh, uh, Peter Dowdell our, our resident gardener and you know it was wonderful we were only talking last Wednesday on the slot it was wonderful this year to hear so many listeners planting wildflowers. Yes, it was indeed. Or indeed, even don't mow, let it grow, even if you stop mowing the lawn. I mean, unless you have cows, what in the name of God you're growing all that grass for and cutting it every week and wasting fossil fuels on your lawnmower. Whereas if you let it grow, then what's going to grow are going to be things otherwise that will get their heads chopped off. Things like something like buttercups, perhaps, or daisies, or, or um, self-heal, or clovers. Things like that. And of course, all of our wildflowers are not red. The only kind of things that might be slightly red are poppies. Because these, these can't see red. So all the garden flowers are red. I mean, people are making up for God's deficits, if you like, by, by planting red roses and red tulips. But the bees can't see them. They're no good for bees. There's no pollen in them. There's no nectar in them. The poppies, the bees can see in ultraviolet. And there's ultraviolet lines going into poppies. So they can, they're wild, all right. They can, they can actually visit poppies. But other from that, all your wildflowers are not red. So stop planting red flowers and stop planting daffodils and tulips. There's, there's no pollen, there's no nectar in daffodils. Yeah. You ever see a daffodil seed? I never did. Whereas if you plant things like crocuses now or you plant things like snowdrops or grape hyacinths, 
these are going to have pollen and nectar in them for the bumblebees next spring. And when yeah. they come out of hibernation, the poor old bumblebee queen has to visit about 60,000 flowers in order to get enough to set up a whole nest going. I mean, you're going to get an awful gunk of everything you're going to visit is a bloody daffodil. So, like, we can plant, we can plant <laughs> these things under the tree now, if you like, which is this other of these things for National Tree Day. And, um, you know, planted bulbs that are good for bees are what we should be doing. So there's plenty of things we can do right and wrong for want of a thought. You know, you go out and you buy bulbs, don't buy daffodil bulbs, buy lovely crocuses, buy snowdrops, buy hyacinths, buy alliums. I mean, they all look lovely, but the ones you've picked are right for the bees rather than the wrong ones. Okay. A bit of planning, a bit of forethought, that's all it needs. You're as passionate as always, uh, Aina, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you for that, and enjoy National Tree Day this year. Okay, can, I, can I mention my group before I go? You can indeed, you can indeed. This is our, our wild world. Yes, because I, I mean, I've explained to you how it works, and I've, I've written a book explaining this in ordinary language to anyone that wants to read it from 9 to 90. And there's all these chapters in it about, first of all, how the world works, how we react and how what we do affects it, and then what we can do to fix it. And so it's quite a positive book. It's not, not a negative thing. You won't be depressed reading it. But you will understand a bit more about the world than you did before. And we all need to know that. So it's called Our Wild World. And you can get it in the library. You don't have to buy it. But do read it. Okay, but you can buy it from O'Brien Press as well. You're not you're not any good to sell your old books. It is available from O'Brien Press, and it's, it is it's a it's a lovely read and it deals with things. Because I know last week somebody was asking about spiders. Aina, in her book deals with why uh, we have spiders in our house. Listen, we leave it there, Aina. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining oh, God, us. A pleasure to talk to you. Good morning to you. Bye 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 bye. That is uh, Aina Nilauna in advance of National Tree Day, but her book is called Our Wild World: From the Birds and the Bees uh, to the Boglands and the Ice Cap. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking in the last hour about with Threshold, the housing charity in this country, and talking about the whole housing situation and how people are uh, in, particularly in renting, rented situations that the price of rent is going up and people are terrified to complain if the standards are low because they're f- fearful of losing, you know, the roof over their heads but of course we unfortunately also know that there are a number of people who are homeless in this country and Focus Ireland do the most amazing work every single day 365 days a year working with people who are homeless in this country and with that in mind Focus Ireland's their Shine a Light Night this is a fundraising night that they hold every year it's proudly supported this year by Board Gosh Energy and it is taking place on Friday week the 15th of October and they're asking people all over Cork if you would consider sleeping out for one night and many people are going to be doing it to raise vital funds to try to end homelessness in this uh, country. So they're asking people to host your own shine a light night. You can do it in your business, you can do it in your workplace, you can do it in your own home or you can do it in your own garden. And uh, if you would agree to do it, they're asking you please to sign up and play your part on Friday the 15th of October. You can find out more by visiting focusireland.ie forward slash shine a light that's shine a light night proudly sponsored by board gosh energy with c103 and we wish everybody luck with that and when we were talking about housing and the cost of rent with threshold shocking to adele giving out the figures of how much it is to rent a property in the city in the county uh, 
of Cork has the rental prices have gone up say by 9% there's really a problem with people with both availability but now there's a problem with affordability Alyssa says hi I was listening to you talking about rent are you talking about private houses no yeah we were talking about private houses this listener says I'm in a council house and my rent went up from 62 euro to 124 euro how is that possible that's actually doubled now I'm open to correction but isn't a council house that's based on the income coming into the house if you think you are it's like a means tested payment if you think you've been overcharged I would be suggesting getting back onto the council but that does seem very high that it could double from 62 euro to 124 and was that in one increase has anybody else noticed that renting a council property that the rent has gone up 1850 somebody else when I was talking about the anti-vaxxers who are protesting outside the family home of the chief medical officer Dr Tony Houlihan yesterday and I was given out about it because I thought it was utterly shameful that a group of protesters would decide to do that outside somebody's family uh, home a family home as I mentioned who lost a mum and a much loved mum and a wife only in February of this year well that's prompted the listener said this country is ridiculous we are wrong when we sit back and take rubbish and when we protest we're also told we're still wrong no I, I would disagree with you on that there's nothing wrong with protest and peaceful protest and all of that I don't have an issue with protest I have an issue with somebody protesting outside somebody's private family home and protesting because of a job that this man has been given to do, a job that he's been doing to try to protect all of the country. That's my objection. If these anti-vax people want to protest, you know, feel free but just it's, it's the choosing of where they decide to do. Why would you go outside somebody's home on a Sunday afternoon when this man, after the end of a busy week, is trying to spend time with his two teenage uh, children? I just think it's wrong. I think it's absolutely wrong. I see nothing wrong with protest. I'm not saying that. It's just it's, it's where you decide to do it. But thank you for your text to 0862103103. Now, we've had a couple of people. Remember we had the listener on who said that they, if I can find the original uh, text, Jane, wasn't it? Jenny. To say, want to know, how long does it take for a parcel to come from the UK to Ireland? Uh, Jenny said, my sister-in-law sent me a parcel on the 6th of September and I still haven't received it. And we're on the 4th of October. That's almost a month. And I was saying, get on to the post office and get your sister-in-law to get on to the UK postal service. Because that seems like a very long time to be waiting for a parcel to arrive from the UK. Well, Jenny, I can tell you, you're not on your own. Because somebody says, hi, Patricia, my friend in the UK also posted me a package. Uh, It's now just over two weeks. No sign of it yet. I'm living in the West Cork area. So there does seem to be a delay with parcels coming from the UK. And hi, Patricia, my daughter sent me a parcel. It's a month ago now. I still haven't received it. I do have a tracking number and I've tracked it to Dublin and I'm still waiting. So the delay on that parcel is on this end. I thought maybe the delay was on the other side. Thank you for that. But you're, you're right to make contact with the postal service. At least it's been tracked to Dublin. Don't know. Let me know when your parcel arrives, by the way. And if you can find out from on post why it will be taking that long if it's made it to Dublin, why can't it make it down here to Cork? That seems a very excessive period of time to be waiting for a parcel. Now, let me go back to last Friday for a moment because I'm thrilled to see we have a, we have a response into this because we got... We got a lovely reaction to this story last Friday. I mentioned last Friday Marianne in 
Blackpool had contacted us. Her mother, who is in her 80s, rarely goes out on her own. There's usually a family member with her when she goes out shopping. But anyway, Mammy decided to go off uh, shopping on Friday on her own. And when she got to, it was Aldi in Blackpool. And when she got to the checkout, she discovered that she'd forgotten her purse. And Marianne contacted us because she said a lady who was at the till at the same time as Marianne's mother said, look, no problem, I'll pay for your shopping. And it was 14 uh, euro in total. And Marianne, the lady, didn't leave any name or anything. And she'd asked us if we could call it out in the hope that maybe the lady was listening just to say how uh, really thankful they were for that lovely act of kindness and what what that lady did for Marianne's mother so we called it out and I have to say it was lovely because the amount of people who contacted us to say wasn't that gorgeous and I thought on a Friday it was a good news story on a Friday and the the kindness of a random stranger I thought was the loveliest part of it well lo and behold the lady who paid that money was listening to the programme but didn't contact us straight away because she said and I don't even have her name she's only she's only WhatsApp me she said I didn't ring John Paul because John Paul would know my voice <laughs> but she said just to clarify what actually happened in Aldi last uh, Friday because I thought that the woman had or the shopping was gone through and then it was in a panic going oh my god I can't find my purse that wasn't what happened she said the lady uh, had put her shopping up on the uh, conveyor belt and she was ready to go through after me when she realised she didn't have her purse and she was trying to take the shopping back down to put it back up on the shelf and I said to her look your purse is more than likely at the bottom of your bag don't worry about it and then I said to her let the shopping go through uh, with mine now this lady said I did pay for it uh, separately and then I left because the lady was so embarrassed by what had uh, uh, happened and I didn't want to add to it so I just left very very uh, quickly please don't make my name public didn't phone as JP would know my voice love the programme well I'm just thrilled that you've contacted us so thank you that was uh, I I just sent a quick message back to say you made everybody's Friday because it was just lovely to hear such a nice kind gesture to do you know with a woman who was feeling so embarrassed we'd all hate to be in a situation like that where you suddenly are everything is up on the conveyor belt and suddenly you realise oh my god I've forgotten I've forgotten my purse and it can so easily happen to anyone so well done well done you've done your good deed uh, for not just for the day can I say you've done your good deed for the year and you certainly cheered up a lot of people on Friday to know that there's good kind nice uh, people out there and there was another lovely story that broke over the weekend I saw it on Twitter and thank you to a Kerry lady by the name of Lucy O'Shea who caught one of those lovely special moments on video and it was out of Mallow train station on Sunday this happened and she posted it up online and it was one of those lovely things again when you looked at it it kind of made you smile I saw Cork B.O. where they put it up on their on their page uh, as well and seemingly what had happened was there was a group of senior day trippers from Dublin who were getting the train down from Dublin and obviously they had to get off at Mala because they're obviously, I'm assuming, were they going on to Kerry or something in, instead? Anyway, so they were out on the platform in at Mallow train station and they decided to have a little bit of a sing-song and they were belting out their own version of Sweet Caroline. So the staff at the Mallow train station obviously heard these these very lively senior citizens on their road trip, our train trip, and they decided to give them this musical 
accompaniment. So they put on Neil Diamond onto the loudspeakers. They put the tracks on the music for them. So then you had these Dublin people and you could see the way Lucy recorded it. She was very clever in the way she recorded it. You know, obviously to give everybody their privacy, you couldn't see any faces. You could just see the, the people's feet and sort of their bodies and you could see all their suitcases uh, were lined up because she didn't want to encroach on them uh, either. So you had this group of older Dublin people, a Mallow train station, on their way to Kerry on their holidays and they were singing away and then on the other side of the platform there was another group of ladies who copped what this group from Dublin were doing so they were singing over and back to each other and seemingly at the time it was lashing out of the heavens but their spirits certainly weren't dampened and they had the sing song on one side and everybody was waving and singing back to each other and as Lucy said on her post it's been a crap pardon the language, 18 months for everyone. But it was so lovely to see older people out enjoying themselves. Uh, again, it was just magic. So I don't know. And I don't even know if that group of Dublin senior citizens, whether somebody will realise who they are and they'll get to see it or maybe they're on Twitter themselves and they'll get to see it. But it was just, again, one of those lovely moments. And God knows, you know, we have had a rough 18 months and it's lovely when we get any kind of nice moments like that. It, it really is uh, great. 1850 Keep your questions coming for Annalise Drissel, uh, please, because Annalise will be joining us in a couple of minutes. And just a reminder, in case you didn't do it, I heard it on the 12 o'clock news, there's an a water issue now out of Mitchellstown. Some, actually, I saw a WhatsApp in about the Donnerail water supply. The boil water notice there has been lifted just to confirm that again. If you're in the Donnerail area, they've been on a boil water notice across the weekend and across last week. That's been lifted. The water is fine again and safe to drink. But Irish Water and Cork County Council engineers are currently investigating an issue on the Mitchellstown public water supply network. Now, engineers have been investigating the issue over the weekend, but they got on to us because they say some customers may now experience a water outage as they're trying to sort out the problem that arose over the weekend and that's in the Mitchellstown area. So if you get a water outage in Mitchellstown, that's what's going on. But just to let you know that Irish Water, along with Cork County Council and the engineers there, are working to sort out the problem. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. CDYS Mallow, they're running a new sports and recreation training course. It is the perfect reduced stress alternative to the Leaving Cert and you get paid to do it and no CAO points are required. It's located in the Big Blue Cube in Goulds Hill in Mallow. You can email jur at cdys.ie or find out more on their Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at North Cork Sports and Recreation Training. Mallow Meals on Wheels, they deliver hot, nourishing dinners Monday through to Friday to the elderly and housebound and infirm in the general Mallow area. Weekday meals can also be arranged. If you or someone you know would like to avail of the Mallow Meals on Wheels service, then please call them at 022 51441 and you can call between 10am and 1pm daily. Out of those hours, you can contact Eleanor at 087 289 1641. And the centenary commemoration of the Clonbannon ambush will take place next Saturday, the 9th of October, beginning with Mass 
in Derenagree Church. That's at half past one. It'll be followed by ceremonial duties and an evening of refreshments and entertainment. And that'll be held in Drumtariff Parish Hall. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. As we know, the entire cabinet are in Cork uh, today for the announcement of the 165 billion national development plan. It's been officially launched today and the very latest from that, the Green Party leader and Transport Minister Eamon Ryan says this 10-year plan has the climate at its heart. It commits to 35 billion euro of infrastructure spending on transport out to 2030. Road projects from the last plan have been uh, kept and that includes the M20 Cork to Limerick motorway, the A5 to Derry and the N24 Waterford Limerick Road and the N and the N4. Uh, OK, so there's more of that coming up because obviously that announcement is happening literally as we speak. They are live in Porky Cueve. OK, some more of your thoughts coming in to us. Breathe that when she heard me read out the story about, the, about Marianne's mother who went to shop at Aldi in Blackpool and didn't have the purse with her and the lady behind very kindly uh, paid for Marianne's mother's shopping didn't leave any name number just just, just didn't want to embarrass the lady and went off and paid and we're just saying how kind that was well Breather says Patricia listening to you and the lady's act of kindness it reminded me just last Saturday morning I was walking at the traffic lights on Bridge Street in Mallow on the Ballydeheen side and I saw this white car drive up on the footpath put on the hazards and then somebody jumped out of the car and ran back up Ballydeheen my first thought were oh my got as she knocked down an animal but no she'd gone to the aid of a lady who was in a wheelchair a bike had been left out beside bins that were parked outside the front door of houses and the bike was blocking the footpath for this lady and obviously the lady driving the white car large white car as I believe described it was driving down Ballydeen and Mallow realised what was going on so parked in her car put on the hazards and ran back up and moved the bike and was able to negotiate and get, get the woman by so well done she could have just driven on and be given out about whoever left the bike uh, there. Breathers complaining about the bins. She reckons the bins shouldn't be there. But I don't know if the people in those houses have any other uh, choice. I mean, certainly to get the bins delivered and collected, they've no other choice because it's they've no gardens. Their front doors are out on the uh, street. But well done to whoever that lady was in a large white car. And Breather says it was last Saturday morning at about 10 uh, o'clock. Uh, thank you for that. I can see questions coming in for Annalise. You can keep them those coming please 1850 and there's a number coming in by text to 086 and WhatsApp 0862 103 103 John in Blackpool says Hi Patricia I agree with you 100% about the protesting outside Dr Tony Houlihan's home yesterday afternoon Tony Houlihan is a tough job he's a good man don't protest outside his family home says John in Blackpool thank you for that John and then somebody else you know for the listeners that are having problems with parcels coming from the UK and we've some people who are waiting a month two weeks to a we've at least two have been waiting uh, a month somebody here obviously somebody in the know we might get on to on post I might get John Paul to get on to on post on this says that the delay in parcels from England is on the Dublin side it isn't on the UK side I straight away jumped in and assumed that it was something to do with their with what's going on with petrol and diesel shortages and 
lack of truck drivers and all of that. I thought it was something on the UK side, but according to this listener, it's not. The delays are on the Dublin side. Now, I don't know, is that down to the amount of people that are still shopping online? Has that got anything to do with that? We'll see if we can find out more. But thank you for where the text that into 0862103103. And last week on the programme, we were talking about a walking stick that was once owned by the big fella himself, Michael Collins, and it went up for auction last week in uh, Belfast and we were all dying to know who had purchased the walking stick and everyone was was saying wouldn't it be great if it went on display and would it go into a private collection would it go out of the country I think people were uh, fearful of well it turns out it is now on display in a pub in Dublin I prefer to see it in a pub in Cork but anyway it's a silver tipped walking stick uh, used by Michael Collins and it actually ended up selling at the Belfast auction for €60,000. It was expected to sell for about €12,000 but it actually went to 60000 Such was the interest in the big man's walking stick. Details of the buyer had been scarce last week after the auction but it's now emerged that the successful phone bidder is a hotelier by the name of Louis Fitzgerald. Now, he's the owner of not just hotels, he's the owner of multiple pubs across the Republic of Ireland, but they're primarily in the Dublin area. And seemingly the walking stick was there when staff went in to work yesterday. That's a quote from an employee at a pub called On Pochine Still. It's a bar and restaurant in Rathcool in uh, Dublin. And the employee said it's the first thing you'll see when you walk into the bar. There's the walking stick. On Pochine Still, it has strong GAA connections and they have a large collection of memorabilia already. For example, the walking stick has gone on display behind the bar, but alongside it is the football that was used from Bloody Sunday, the massacre at Croke Park in November of 1920, which saw 14 people killed after a mixture, a mixed force of police officers and the British military opened fire on the, on the crowd. So it's a pub that has a lot of memorabilia. So that's where Michael Collins' walking stick is at the moment. Is that where it's going to remain? I don't know. But it's Louis Fitzgerald is the owner. As I say, a lot of people were just... Well, I think a lot of people were just fearful when it was a phone bidder, were fearful that it might go out of the country somewhere and that we'd never see it again. Even though I think the, the actual Bloomfield, that's the auction, House in Belfast that auctioned it. I think at the time they said that they were just delighted that somebody in Ireland had purchased it. They confirmed that it was somebody uh, south of the country, but there had been a lot of speculation about the bidder. So it just turned up in Ampochin still. If you were around Rathcool in Dublin, it's a pub and a restaurant. 1850 We're going to take a break and Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist, will join us if you've got questions for Annalise. Text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C1. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic, where we're joined by Annalise Dressel. Good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome to the programme. OK, lots of questions in. Let's do our best to try to get through them, starting with this one from Rose. Uh, hi, Patricia. Could you please ask Annalise, has Annalise ever heard of bladder pain syndrome? If so, what would she recommend for it? Um, now, I can't say I've heard of that, but I would, I can certainly hazard a good guess as to what it is. It's pain in your whole pelvic and bladder area. There is a lot of different pelvic inflammatory disorders, Patricia. Bladder pain syndrome, I presume, is one of those. Interstitial cystitis, which is cystitis within the tissue of the bladder. This creates pelvic inflammation. Um, Cystitis, recurrent urinary tract infections would be part of it. Um, Vulvodyna, which is severe um, nerve inflammation of the vulval tissue, that's all part of a pelvic inflammatory disorder. So really, like everything else, naturally, you have to have a look and see what are the drivers. In the case of bladder plane syndrome, I would certainly consider looking at interstitial cystitis because I think it um, is a big problem that goes very unrecognised. Um, and a lot of people who have this would be going to get their urine checked frequently and might not necessarily showing up an infection because what's happened is that the protective layer of the bladder tissue has become damaged. So the bladder tissue becomes permeable and you get leaking of potassium from the urine into the interstitial areas of the tissue. And this sets up a huge inflammatory process. And then the antibiotics that are often used to treat it are actually in themselves neuroinflammatory. So they um, they can inflame the nerves in the whole pelvic area. So it is a complete vicious cycle. So I think with that one, um, definitely investigate um, um, interstitial cystitis. And the key really is to restore the perme- like to fix the permeability issue with the bladder. You'll need to go to a nutritional therapist, but you're looking at things like N-acetyl um, glutamine, um, N-acetyl glycine. You're looking at probiotics. You're looking at natural anti-inflammatories. You're looking at herbs like buku and corn silk. So there's a big range of them. And the idea really is just to bring the whole inflammation down 
in the pelvic and bladder area. Okay, good luck. Uh, good luck with that. But it is possible to fix, which is, is the main thing. And then this came in bright and early this morning going, Hi Patricia, my granddaughter just started play school and she keeps picking up colds. She's in and out and in and out. Could Annalise re- recommend anything to try to build her up a little bit? She's taking some bucol. Um, but is there anything else that you, you would recommend? This is yes. kind of typical of when a child starts school, isn't it? And starts Absolutely. play school. And it's typical when all kids go back to school. And actually, it's not a necessarily a bad thing, Patricia, because what's happening is their systems are starting to meet these um, bugs and viruses for the first time and their immune systems are learning to fight them. So actually, like if we consider our immune system to be made up of troops of little soldiers, making sure they get good exercise is a way to ensure a very strong, healthy immune system. So getting sick isn't necessarily the, the, the big problem when you're small like that, but it's actually being able to shake it so that they might get a sniffle, but they don't end up having to go down the route of lots of different antibiotics. So the Sambucol, I know, is an elderberry extract. It's not a bad one, but one of the most important things is vitamin D. And again, I've just been reading this morning about vitamin D and COVID, you know, and that the people who tend to end up in ICU or severely unwell are people who have very low vitamin D status. And we should all be on a vitamin D starting now, including smallies going to crashes. Just make sure you talk to your health shop and they'll give you the right dose. So the Bionutri as a company, they do a beautiful complex for children called elderberry complex and that has got your elderberry extract in there but also vitamin c zinc and vitamin d for the immune system along with something called beta glucans which are really powerful little immune fighters and boosters so they come in chewables for small children they come in tablets for adults and they are great for everybody because it's like a one-stop shop if you can't get your hands on the Bionutri one, I know that uh, Solgar do an elderberry complex and Biocare also do an elderberry complex. But I think of everything there, the key is vitamin D. Yeah, and it's interesting when you say about their, you know, they're meeting these bugs and viruses for the first time. My sister-in-law moved to Australia a number of years ago and lo and behold, she fell in love and married a lovely Australian guy and they have two children. And when her children, when her eldest lad started in preschool, he kept coming home with these cook you know bugs and viruses and whatever and she kept picking them up whereas the dad didn't and when she went to the doctor the doctor said it's because you're new to Australia and your immune system hasn't faced these viruses and bugs before Yep they're all so different and genetic In actual fact the flu vaccine is often built on the Australian's flu of the year because they they have mutated the strain. It's very different there. They get it first and then we develop our vaccines on it. So we mutate the vaccine and that's going to happen with COVID as well. It's going to consistently mutate. But as it mutates and as it continues to pass through the population, it'll become less lethal. It'll become more like a coronavirus, like a cold is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anne-Marie says, I'm in my 50s. My hair is beginning to thin. I'm not sure why this is. Um, could I be deficient in a particular vitamin? I'm going to the same hairdresser for years, so nothing has changed. So the age there is the key, I think, Patricia. So I would say it's probably all part of hormone change for women around that age in menopause, perimenopause. So your hormones are fluctuating and dropping and that's a massive factor in thinning hair. So there's a couple of things you could try without resorting to HRT. Biotin is always very good for hair quality and it's cheap and cheerful. Do a three-month course of that. If that hasn't made any difference, I'm a big fan of Norcrin. Having tried it myself, it is a kind of a patented marine protein that can, can stimulate 
cells, hair cells that have gone into dormancy to regrowing again. So if the hair is actually thinning on your scalp and you're starting to see your scalp a little bit, um, the Norcrin is the answer for that. And again, I would do a three-month one of that. And if you're experiencing other symptoms of menopause like hot flushes, and if you don't have any history of breast cancer or cervical cancer in your family, plant-based hormones are really good. They generally isolate them from soya or linseeds, and they have a very mildly estrogenic property in the body so they kind of prop up your own dropping levels and there'd be lots of different brands that have those in there again Bionutri I mentioned with the elderberry complex they do a lovely strong one called Niglin Plus that I take myself and find great um, there is another very nice one if you've got a lot of other symptoms called um, it's NHP's menopause support and then the king of them all really is the Nutri Advanced they do um, a magnesium peri meno support which has got stuff in there for mood low mood and everything so maybe address it at that level Okay Mary wants to know have you heard of a project called Sonaval and is it good for tinnitus? I haven't Patricia but I have people that come in all the time to me that they see products online that are being advertised to target specific disorders like tinnitus um, and it's the, the way that it often works is they're advertised on Facebook and you sign up for three months, um, you know, and you buy and it. I've just, I've just Googled it and that, that's exactly what it appears yeah. to be. I'm always very, very uh, sceptical of anything that makes claims like that. I've looked into lots of them. The ingredients aren't necessarily bad ingredients. It's just that I can never see the strength of them. So, like, you know, the difference could be between having a teaspoon of something and, you know, a microscopic particle of it. If they say it's in there, you don't know how much is in there. And they're all quite expensive. And the thing with tinnitus really is that, unfortunately, it's very hard to get one that works. Now, there's lots of other things that can be associated with tinnitus that you might like to try. The first thing is, if you developed it after a viral infection, it's probably inflammation of the inner ear. So there's a number of different compounds that can help with that. There's um, there's one here, like I used to have one, Patricia, that had everything in there, but unfortunately it's been taken off the market. But there is a company called Scientifica, and they do P4 Max. That's a very powerful natural anti-inflammatory, so that could be something to try. Rosemarinic acid, which is the... Um, you know, which comes from rosemary, is another very good one for the inner ear. And then there's a particular bacteria called um, Lactobacillus salivarius. And these are all great things to kind of restore health of the inner ear. The other thing to consider then is that it's possibly coming from posture. Now, this is my tinnitus comes from that. Um, So when my back and neck is bad, I know I get this kind of vibrational hum in my head. And when I go to my lady who cracks my back, it goes away. So maybe have a look and see, is it a postural issue? Um, And then other than that, really, there is nothing to suggest. And I'd say it's one of the hardest things to crack, unfortunately. But don't waste your money. Yeah, and and I'm looking at they're expensive as well. And you've got to ship them in from the States. So just be be careful. And be careful of those ads. They'll make it look like it's the best thing since I spread and they'll have reviews up on it. And I'd never believe any of those reviews. Half of those could be made up. Absolutely, Patricia. And, you know, if a company isn't selling through a shop... You always have to worry about question, it. Question, yeah. Okay, Mary, question for Annalise, please. Um, having a problem with high blood pressure, never drank, never smoked, uh, watches her diet, physically active, has actually lost a stone in weight, but can't get the blood pressure to stay down. Anything you could recommend, please? Okay, so a couple of different things. I suppose 
when we deal with blood pressure, we always have to look at the health of the kidneys and make sure that the kidneys are very healthy because they are responsible for uh, managing our blood pressure along with different hormones in the body. So if the kidneys are healthy, well and good, but if not, you know, do a course of um, kidney supportive herbs, like as I've mentioned earlier, the corn silk and the buku, and get the kidneys functioning properly. Then in terms of supplements for actual blood pressure, so various different things can help the health of the circulatory system. So hawthorn is a fantastic one for all of the veins and the arteries. It helps with the tissue of these and makes them lovely and elastic. So a good supplement should have that in there. Also, things that help thin the blood can work as well. So you're looking at things like turmeric, garlic, um, all of these um, sort of good natural anti-inflammatories, Boswellia, they're great, and sorry, the omega-3 fats as well from fish oils, really good for thinning the blood. So that can, something like that can help as well. Magnesium is a great one as well. If you're deficient in magnesium, your blood pressure could be high. And if you're deficient in potassium, your blood pressure could be high. So taking a supplement of magnesium can help. Be careful about taking supplements of potassium because it is easy to overdo it. So I think it's better to get potassium in your diet and you'll get it from things like celery, beetroot, bananas. All of the vegetables are very high. There's a lovely supplement by a company called Terranova and it's called it's Q10 which again is great for the health of the, the cardiac um, system, magnesium and hawthorn, plus another few nice bits and pieces in there as well. Um, and that's a great one. We do get some success with that. So again, that's the Terranova Q10 magnesium and hawthorn. Okay, this is from Anne. I'm on 20 milligrams of omeprazole. Can I take slippery elm capsules at the same time? You can. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me, Patricia. Absolutely. So what omeprazole does is... It, prevents you, prevents your cells from releasing acid into your stomach during digestion. So it's an acid blocker. Whereas what slippery M does is it actually coats all of the cells with a lovely kind of thick mucilage and that protects the cells from when acid is released. Now you do need acid in your stomach. It's very important for acidifying minerals like iron and calcium for absorption. So if you're on amaprazole for a very long time, it might be an issue with bones, with osteoporosis. You might find that you're getting tired and low in energy. could be iron deficiency. Um, it's also very important just to help you digest your food and prevent constipation. So Slippery Elm really works to kind of more heal and protect from the effects of acid. So it's a good one to take in, in um, conjunction. And if you did ever want to wean yourself off Nexium, that alongside one called Zinc Carnison, which helps tighten up the little valve, is... Um, is the key to doing it. But the one thing I would say, Patricia, is that you really can't have long-term acid reflux because it can cause cancerous changes in the cells in your esophagus. So, you know, it's like everything else in life with medication. It's the risk versus the benefits. For so, Some people will just need to be on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the pain of it as well. So don't don't be just ign- ignoring it. Uh, Annalise, my husband is three weeks after a very bad dose of shingles. He's on Lyrica for pain, nerve pain, but it really doesn't seem to be helping. Could you suggest anything to give him any kind of relief, please? Okay, so, gosh, Patricia, you know, that is one of the worst things after shingles is that kind of recurrent nerve pain. And I have people who still have pain years later after a bad dose of shingles. And what happens is with shingles, the virus actually um, inflames the nerve endings um, near the skin and makes it very painful. So a light touch feels like a burning pain. 
Um, I think the key really is to make sure that the body has ridded itself fully of shingles. So a couple of things can help with that. One of them is the olive leaf extract. I love it as an antiviral. It's very good. Lysine is very good for as an antiviral for kind of suppressing viruses like, um, um, you know, the sh- shingles, chicken pox and... Um, the herpes simplex virus as well, they're all kind of related to each other. So that might help suppress the virus. With lysine, you probably want to be taking 1,000 milligrams about three times a day. And then the other thing that I mentioned earlier, the scientific P4 Max as a very powerful natural anti-inflammatory might help with that as well. So try it, maybe one or a combination of those three. Okay, and any cure for psoriasis, please, patches on my back. Any creams you would suggest? So the awful thing with the psoriasis is that sometimes you find a cream that helps and then it stops working after a while. And the reason that that is is that psoriasis is really driven from the inside. So what happens, and they think it's a kind of an autoimmune condition where the body is, like our cells on our skin turn over fairly quickly. But with psoriasis, the immune system is causing those cells to turn over very, very rapidly. So you get the formation of kind of scaly, itchy, red and sore patches on the skin. So you have to really work from the inside out for anything long term. And at the most basic, I would recommend um, make sure that you've got the right right level of omega-3 fish in your uh, fish oil in your diet. And I don't think you'll get it in oily fish. I think you need to take a supplement. So that's definitely one thing that can help for the skin. The other thing then as well is to cut out any foods um, you know, that you may be intolerant to because that's driving the inflammation from within side. And then on the outside, the one of the better creams that works is the Viridian Oregon Grape Balm. And you can actually also take that in capsule form. Um, it's from a particular root of a particular plant, the Oregon Grape Plant. And it seems to have very powerful kind of natural anti-inflammatory and inhibitory activity. So you could take the capsules and you could use the balm. And the other thing I've started researching recently, and it's becoming a little bit more mainstream, is something called black seed oil. So it comes from okay. the oil of I'll, the... I'm going to have to wrap it up because I've, I'm going to I'm going to miss news otherwise. You'll put all it up on your website as heard on the radio. I will, Patricia. Okay, we leave it there. Thanks for Thank that. You. That's Annalise Drissel of thehealthhubstore.com. Talk to you tomorrow. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.